Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. We are in the middle of a series called Winning Culture. And we've spent the last six weeks talking about some of the things that describe what a winning culture is. Because how can we hit the mark if we don't even know what the target is? If you miss any of those weeks, I would encourage you to go back, listen either on YouTube or catch the podcast. Uh, today we're shifting our, the, the series to the, uh, to the play on words. We've been talking about what is a winning culture. And today, until the series is over, we're going to be talking about winning culture. Winning those that are outside of the faith. Uh, today, you see, you've got a, a token that I want you to take home. We're going to be talking about the light of the world as we move, move forward. So we have to ask questions. Is everyday church winning culture to Christ? Are we as individuals winning culture to Christ? And if not, isn't it about time for a hard reset? Um, I mean, isn't that the mission of God, which is to win culture to himself? Using everyday church language, it's to lead everyday people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Using biblical language, it's to go and make disciples. It's about winning culture. That's what we are supposed to be doing. Uh, In the 20th century, the world experienced extraordinary population growth. In just the 20th century alone, the population increased from around 1.65 billion people to 6 billion people. The world population reached 7 billion people in 2011, and uh, it's expected to reach 8 billion people sometime in 2023. In the not-so-distant future, there will be more people alive on the earth than the total number who have ever lived and died combined. And it seems as though, we say this a lot because it's true, but it seems as though the world has gone completely crazy. We barely have time to process one tragedy before another one takes place. I mean, this time one year ago, we had just been into this worldwide pandemic just for a few months. Half or more of the country was still shut down. People were still and people were and still are afraid. The racial tension and violence was as high as it had been in 50 years. George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and Black Lives Matter had been protesting for 100 plus days this time last year. And these events seemed so far away, but they were barely a year ago. It wasn't too long ago that America was dealing with the threat of ISIS and terrorism. But tragedy and chaos happened so quickly that that seems like so, so far away. Fellow Christ followers were having their heads cut off on the internet for the world to see. There was conflict between the church and the homosexual community. And it was just a few years ago that we were dealing with school shootings, theater shootings, church shootings. We've forgotten that. Do you remember that there was fear? I don't even know if I can go to a public place because there's going to be a shooting. We had a shooting in, in Walmart out on 40. One of Katie's great friends has got a like a, a form of PTSD from it. Like for months and months, you could have gone public because the shooting happened right here in our own community. I mean, there were reports of the police brutality, the, the retaliation where police officers and first responders were literally being murdered in the streets. And this doesn't even take into account the normal murders and rapes and abuse and drug addiction and alcoholism. 
And we haven't even mentioned the multi-billion dollar human trafficking child prostitution problem where most of the girls that are targeted, most of the people that are targeted are young girls between the ages of 11 and 17. Some girls are forced into sex slavery as young as age five. Most of these girls are either kidnapped or purchased for as little as $200. The younger girls are used for oral sex and the older for intercourse. And statistics tell us that these girls will service an average of 30 to 40 men per day. Do the math. If they work 16 hours a day, that's two and a half sexual encounters every hour, every single day. Imagine waking up in the morning knowing that you're going to be raped all day, every day for the rest of your life. We're living in a dark time. John chapter 11, verse 10 says, It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And so the question becomes, where is the light? We long for better times. We long for the good old days, for Andy Griffith and happy days and leave it to Beaver. And why can't things just go back to the way that they used to be? Listen, things aren't going back to the way that they were. Some people even wish that they were born or lived in a different era of time. But the reality is this, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says, From one man he made all of the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Listen, God has appointed that we be alive at this moment in history. It's time that we embrace our destiny and engage our culture. It's time that we stop worrying about having church and start being the church. I don't think Satan could care any less about how good our services are inside this building. We can yell and shout and dance and run and speak in tongues or whatever it is you want to do until we're blue in the face as long as it stays in this building. But it's time for the church to rise up and be the light of the world. In his book, Jesus Culture, Calling a Generation to Revival, Banning Liebscher says this. He says, I love to read before I go to sleep, before I go to sleep at night. But I've never, ever once headed upstairs to my room to read a good book, turned on the light switch, and then waited as the battle warred between light and dark. It's not complicated. If I turn on the light, the darkness leaves. Darkness doesn't have an option. It doesn't hold voting rights. It doesn't stare at me defiantly and say, I really like your room. I'm not leaving. Darkness doesn't have a choice because the minute light comes into the room, the shadows have to flee. Pastor Bill Johnson says this, light is always superior to darkness and darkness is always inferior to light. As Christ followers, we are children of the light. John chapter 1 verse 4, he says, In Him, meaning Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Isn't that good news that no matter how dark it gets, it will never overcome the light of Christ. The light of God shines in the darkness, and that darkness has not, will not, and cannot overcome it. Part of the problem that I see and the body of Christ is that we can't fight darkness because we're too busy fighting one another. We've lost our sense of mission. We've become engrossed with the temporary when God has called us to be engaged in the eternal. This isn't a new strategy from the enemy. I mean, this has been going on since the first century church. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
Verse 18, he said, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul is saying, stop with the obsession of the things that you can see and focus on eternity. Our light will not shine and we will not be able to win culture as long as we're focused on physical realities instead of spiritual wickedness. Like, I'm not talking about ignoring people's physical needs. That's part of how we win culture, by meeting physical needs. I'm saying the recipient of our spiritual warfare shouldn't be people. It should be the spirit realm. Let me read one of the most famous verses on the subject of spiritual warfare probably in the world. Half the people in the room could probably quote it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. From the New Living Translation, he says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Look, Paul is saying, yes, the world is dark, but we're not fighting against what we see. We're not fighting against people. People are not the enemy. We're fighting evil spirits. We're fighting spiritual wickedness. We're fighting darkness. Look again at John 1.5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A town or a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying we are the light of the world. Someone once said that we may be the only Bible that people ever read. What do people think when they read our lives? What do they see? What do they hear? He says people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl, yet I think that's exactly what we're doing. People can't see our light because we've hidden it under a bowl of belligerence. As Andy Stanley says, we've become so focused on making a point that we've forgotten that we're here to make a difference. Looking again at the words of Jesus, John 11, It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. If we are the light of the world, and people are stumbling because they have no light, how dark is our light? There's no question the world is dark. People are hurting. They need healing. It's no different now than it was when Jesus walked the earth physically. Sure, times have changed, but the need is the same. In Luke chapter 10, we read the story of Jesus sending his followers to reap the harvest. In Luke chapter 10, it says this, After this, 10 verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's a lot going on here in just this first verse. First, we have to understand that the original text wasn't broken up with chapters and verses, so this would have been a continuous document. And so when the, fir- when the verse 1 starts off with after this, when I'm reading, my question is after what? So in order to, to, to know what this is following, I have to go back into chapter 9. So in Luke chapter 9, the end of the verse, just the subheading in the Bible, in my Bible, says the cost of following Jesus. In chapter 9, verse 57, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Look, this is a rubber meets the road moment. There's a cost involved with following Jesus. I mean, we preach a lot about salvation being free, and it is free. But being a disciple will cost you everything. There's this intense moment of Jesus calling people from their comfortable life into something that's going to be way more difficult. And then it says, after this, after what? After counting the cost to follow Jesus. After deciding that I'm all in. After realizing that the eternal is more important than the here and now. This is after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them two by two. And I love this ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Jesus sent them ahead to prepare the way. He sent them to every place that he was about to go. See, some of us don't understand why we're in a certain place, why we're in the season that we're in. And we look around and we're dazed and confused, wondering where God is. But the truth is, is that he sent you to prepare the way for his presence. He sent us into the dark place so that his light can begin to shine through. Remember Acts 17, he marked out their appointed times in history and their bound and the boundaries of their lands. God has us right where he wants us. In moments of discouragement, in moments where it doesn't look like I thought it would, in moments where I'm wondering where God is, I have to take a step back and say, I'm still preparing the way. Jesus has sent us to this community. I can only assume it's because he's about to show up personally and do something significant in the lives of the people all around us. In verse 2, he said he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. All my life, you know, I heard this preached and it was about how big the harvest is and how big the harvest was. And that's part of it. And it was about praying that God would send workers to the harvest field. And that's part of it. But I feel like the church sometimes uses prayer as a cop out not to do what we know we're supposed to do. I love what Mark Batterson always says. And pray like it depends on God, but work like it depends on you. It's a faith meets action kind of moment. He told them the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to go and send workers into the field. But the next verse says, go, go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Then don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. We know the harvest is plentiful. And we know that there's, there's need. I mean, we spent the first little bit of the message talking about the craziness that we've been living through over the last just number of years. We know that we should pray that God would send people, but we can't neglect to go. we got to pray, and we also have to go. We have to do something. We have to be the light. And he says, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. And there's more to it than, than this, but the simplified version is this. Is the person in the bag and sandals are our are, are, are representation of comfort. He said, this might not be comfortable. It might not look like you think it's going to look. It's not going to be like all of the other journeys that you've been on. It's going to be different. Don't take those things with you because I'm going to, I'm going to prepare for you as, I'm going to provide for you as you go, as you prepare the way. And then he says, don't greet anyone on the road. 
This is just a reminder to stay on mission. Don't get bogged down with all of the stuff that's happening around you. We must stay on mission. I remember a few months ago, we were talking about Nehemiah, and he was on the wall, and his, his opposers, Sanballat and Tobiah, would come, and they would say, come down here and talk to us. And Nehemiah was like, I'm not coming off this wall, because the work that I'm doing is more important than coming down and engaging in your nonsense. Stay focused. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't greet anybody on the road. He's not saying don't be polite to people. That's the opposite of what Jesus would want. He's saying stay focused on the mission. And then it drops down to verse, I'm going to drop to 17, same chapter. He says, then the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, full of the joy of the Holy Spirit, says, I praise you, Father, Lord of the heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. I can almost picture Jesus laughing. I mean, he says he was full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he's thanking God that he hid the secrets of the kingdom from the religious elite and he revealed them to the everyday people. I love that because that fits exactly where and who we are, just everyday people. God is doing the same thing. He wants to do the same thing among us, bypassing the religious elite, bypassing the self-righteous. And he wants to reveal himself to the everyday people who will accept the call to be the light of the world. And yet so many of us feel unqualified to do anything. We feel we don't know enough scripture. We don't, we don't pray eloquently enough. We don't know the answers to the hard questions. Anybody ever thought that when you're trying to share with somebody? What if they ask me this and I don't know the answer? And we can get bogged down with our own inadequacy thing. I don't know how to do this. Quoting again from the book, uh, Jesus Culture, Bannon Leapshire addresses this very issue. And I've really never heard someone articulate my own heart so clearly. Uh, He says, for too long, pastors have taught that real ministry happens through anointed men and women of God in vocational ministry. We have not empowered believers to be in full-time ministry no matter what they are doing. The Bible is clear that the kingdom is inside of every believer. It doesn't say the kingdom is only within Christian leaders. Too many Christians believe it is the responsibility only of their pastor to be the light of the world. Or it is for the people who are gifted or have the personality that lends itself to shining. But the kingdom is power and it is inside of you and you need to take responsibility for letting your light shine. And it's not about me because I'm the pastor. I think a lot of times our, the sheep, the lay people are like, oh, it's the pastor's job. And they won't do anything. And then the pastors don't do anything either because they're like, oh, it's the sheep's job. It's my job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's part of my job. I'm supposed to be equipping you to do the work of the ministry. And if, and if I'm not doing that, then I'm not really accomplishing my job. 
There's never a point where I shouldn't have someone pouring into my life where someone's equipping me for the work of the ministry. I should never be a cop out of, oh, you need to go share your faith. And when you leave, take this. And I'm going to tell you about how I wanted to use it this week and to remind you to share your faith and just to be the light. And there's never a moment where I should ask you to do this and me go, I've done my part because I asked you to do it. I want to be a church that empowers everyday people. This is one of the sentences we kind of put around what we were doing in the beginning. A church that empowers everyday people to do extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Where the every, every day meets the extraordinary. Where just a regular person you know, one of our core values is being spirit-led. We're just a regular person. Here's the voice of God just randomly and says, yeah. and it's, look, it's not easy. You know, it's not easy to be in a public forum and think you hear the voice of the Lord to give a word to somebody or something and then you step out and do that. Like, you know, there are people in the room that are excellent at that kind of thing and God's moved mightily in their lives many, many times. Miss Minnie in the back has just heard so many stories of her where God just drops something in her spirit. She's in Walmart or in the, in the marketplace, or just wherever. And she'll speak something into somebody's life and God brings healing and just craziness. And I, those, those moments have been few and far between. So I don't want to stand here and act like this is some simple process. But I think a lot of the reason why we don't share our faith and why we don't do things that we know we're supposed to do is it's just fear and it's pride and it's what if I'm wrong and what if I pray for someone who's sick and they don't get healed? What if you pray for them and they, they do get healed? What would that look like? I'm getting, I'm getting off track here. So uh, I, I'm tired of people thinking that ministry has to come from someone who is a professional. That a prophetic word has to come from only a prophet. Or that healing can only come when the healing evangelist comes to town and there's 40 million people that go to the stadium to get their miracle. Like, is the Spirit of God not able to move through us? God is calling us to be the light of the world. He's calling us to prepare the way for Him. He's calling us to bring healing to those who are hurting and and broken. The world is dark. We know that. A lot of times it's a matter of perspective. It reminded me of a story that I told a few years ago. So Some of you will probably remember this. But the story of the two shoe salesmen who traveled to Africa. It was in the early 1900s, and the company that they worked for wanted to know if there was a market for shoes. So the first salesman arrived, and after a little while, he was just completely discouraged. After a few days, he sent a telegram back to the headquarters that read, the situation is hopeless. They don't wear shoes here. The second salesman arrived and he was completely encouraged. It was the opposite. After a few days, he sent a telegram back to the headquarters and he read, send all the shoes we have because we have a glorious opportunity. No one has shoes here. (laughs) Same situation, 
two completely different perspectives. And I think if we're not careful, we begin to focus on the negative so much that we don't even see the light. Well, first of all, we're the light. The darker it gets, the more opportunities we have to make a difference. Early in the message, we talked about the chaos that we've been experiencing the last number of years. And if we're not careful, again, we focus on that. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about what psychologists call uh, negative bias. Why don't we try to change our perspective today? The darkness may be growing, but the harvest truly is plentiful. And darkness can never be more powerful than light. There are lots of good things that are also happening. According to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity in the 21st Century, international ministries were sent, I'm sorry, international missionaries were sent to all of the world's countries from almost every country. That means almost every country in the world is sending missionaries out. Each week, somewhere around a million people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There are 20, over 20,500 full-time Christian workers and more than 10,000 foreign missionaries in the unevangelized world. There's over 1.3 million full-time Christian workers in the non-Christian world. In Africa, there's nearly 685 million Christians with 760 million expected by 2025, which surpasses their earlier estimates they thought it was only going to be about 700 million in 2025. In Asia, Christianity is growing more than twice as fast as the general population. The evangelical and renewalist Christianity is rapidly growing among Latin American Christians around the world. And with the population propulsion and the rate of salvations, there will shortly be more people alive who confess Jesus as Lord than everyone in history who has been saved, died, and is now in heaven. It's estimated that in the last decade, an average of 1,200 people have they come, to, uh, they come to be Christians every single hour. Our technological advances have enabled us to spread the gospel in ways we never imagined. Not to mention the global prayer movement is stronger than ever before. And it's blazing through the earth in prayer closets and prayer rooms and living rooms and 24-7 houses of prayer and churches and stadiums. Continuous, fervent prayer is rumbling throughout the nations and rising toward heaven for a worldwide revival. Don't you want to be a part of the remnant that God is raising up in these last days? Don't you want to start, stop talking about it and start doing it? Don't you want to be a vessel that God uses to heal and deliver and set free? And I want to be a church that gets outside of our building. Let's be light in the darkness. It feels overwhelming a lot of times. It feels like, what, what difference will what I, what I do, what difference will that make? How many of you use your cell phone at night for a nightlight? Anybody? Not like a nightlight by your, that's the whole time, but like if you get up in the middle of the night, do you turn on the light or you just grab your phone? How many of you use the flashlight? for that or you use the screen how many of you use the screen i use the screen how many of you have ever been in a dark uh 
my favorite place to sleep in the house is on the recliner and on the couch. And I fall asleep there almost every day. Katie's like, I'm going to bed. I'm like, I'll be reading or watch TV or something like that. And then I always fall asleep. But it's dark when I get up because the TV shut itself off. But when I get up, if I just flip my cell phone screen, oh, my cell phone's back there. But I use the screen for, for the light. It's odd that in the midst of the darkness, just the, and I can put it on the lowest setting, the lowest setting of the screen, which is the lowest light that the phone would probably produce, is enough to bring light to the room for me to get where I need to be. Now that only works when it's dark. That same setting outside when the sun is shining is no good. It looks like your phone's not even on. And the reason that I'm saying that is because sometimes it feels like we're not, who are we, who am I? Who am I to make a difference? It's so dark, what difference does my little light make? But the darker it gets, the less light you actually need. Now that's not a, a, a push to be like, oh, you don't just barely need to shine your light. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that as an encouragement to us when we look around and we're like, what difference does my little light make? It makes a huge difference. Even these little glow sticks inside this, you know, this, this salt shaker. But as, as, these are eight for a dollar at the Dollar Tree, right? But the darker that it is, the less light you need. And I think what we're doing with our lives right now is what Jesus said not to do, is we're taking our light and we're hiding it in a bowl. Earlier I called it the bowl of belligerence and I, <laughs> I don't think that's too far from the truth. Well, what would happen if we just took our light out from the bowl and we just lived our life in a way that let Jesus shine? Aiden, you can come and play. I'm going to wrap this up in just a second. The darker it gets, the more the tiniest light will make a difference. You know, my hope is that we not only see the need to be the light of the world, but that we also feel motivated enough to actually do something. On the back end, looking at this, at this sermon series, I thought as we moved into this, it would be a little more on the practical side. And I know this is a lot of yelling about being the light in a dark world and all of that today. It's not, I didn't give you a lot of practicals. Um, so maybe over the next week or two, we can get, try to be a little bit more specific. Because I think sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'm out there and I'm like, you know, I would share my faith, but I don't even know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how. And I think a lot of times in, in charismatic or 
full gospel circles, we end up focusing so much on the presence aspect of it that we neglect the outside aspect of it. And it's not an either or. I think in a lot of non-full gospel circles, it's focused on the on the sharing of the faith. Again, it's not either or, it's both and. The, the presence aspect should fill us with the power of God so that we could go out and share our faith. But for whatever reason, we just would prefer to experience God's presence here and not do anything out there. Anyway, I, we, we made these up. I want you to take this, not one per family, but one per person. And I want you to put this somewhere just this week. I mean, by tomorrow, this glow stick's going to be no good, but you'll know what it's supposed to be in there. So I want you to put this somewhere where you're going to see it. I'm probably going to put mine in my cup holder in my car. And I just want this to serve as a reminder to be the light this week. I think a lot of times we're just not intentional about it. You know, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about a winning culture, how a winning culture is people who are full of the peace of God and full of the joy of the Lord. And we talked about the practical aspects of choosing joy and what that looks like. And when we were intentional about making decisions about joy, the atmosphere around us changed. But it's the intentionality. So I want you to take this, put it somewhere where you can see it every single day. And when you see it, ask God for a divine opportunity. Is the God of the universe not able to help us have interaction with somebody who needs the light of the world? Is he not able to guide my steps enough that I'm in line at Walmart or in line at Publix at the right moment, at the right time where somebody needs to hear what I have to say? Part of the, the, the strategy of this pandemic, I think, is, is the enemy has shut our mouths. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not talking about just covering our faces or whatever, but we don't want to talk to people anymore because either, either we're walking in anxiety ourselves, which, look, I understand that. You know, the numbers are going up and people are like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to be as far away as I, I get that. And then the other side of it is you don't know what their feelings are. As soon as you start to talk to somebody, they're like, hey, bro, back off. Get out of my space. Somebody was telling me a story on Friday about basically got into an altercation at a, at a store where somebody was calling them out and they got into this big fight and argument over masks and vaccinations. And, you know, the person yelling was, you know, was in one of the like motor scooters to help you shop if you, if you can't get around. And thankfully, the person that they were engaging was very calm, cool, and collected. It didn't respond. But it ended with this person getting out of their wheelchair, their motorized wheelchair, and getting in the face of somebody that attends our church. Like, I, and I would say that the person who attends our church was, was the light of God in that moment because they didn't retaliate, knowing full well that they could have. But those situations, and we see them on social media, and it's a viral, all this stuff, it makes us afraid. Should I share my faith? Should I not? How do I even share my faith? That's weird. You know, I just want to get two things in the 10 and under aisle and get out. I, just, I forgot to get something. I want to get home. I don't have time. But I think, that's, I think that's how we feel sometimes. Like We feel like we're just so invasive of people's privacy. And again, I don't know all the pragmatics and the practicals. I'm just saying we've got to figure out a way to be the light. 
What would it look like to buy the guy's sausage biscuit behind us at McDonald's drive-thru? What would it look like to buy the person behind us their coffee? What would it look like for your pastor to not be so angry when they mess up my drive-thru order just to be kind? I want you to take this and I, I want you to just let it be, be a reminder. Leave an extra tip at a restaurant. And all our servers said amen. Leave 40% instead of 20. Well, I can't, I can't afford that. Don't buy a drink. Get, drink water and save $5 and give it to the server. Like, I, I don't know. There's ways that we can be practical. To be the light. It doesn't have to be weird and wonky and like, oh, here comes, you know. Anybody got those friends? They get on a on a social, not social media, but they get on a they get involved in a company. And then you're just like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to buy it and I don't want to sell it. I don't I don't want to come underneath your thing. I don't want to be a part of your downline. And I think sometimes we feel like that's how it is with, with being the light and sharing our faith. But the reality is, is that when people are in darkness, they need the light and they want it. People are stumbling. Jesus said, how? He said, they're stumbling because there's no light. We have to change our perspective from I'm bothering people to I'm lighting their way. To change our perspective from, I don't want to be intrusive to, I may be the voice that's going to bring healing to their situation. Because people are hurting and broken. I mean, just weeks ago, we spent all kinds of time talking about depression and all the craziness and the things, the fear, the anxiety. People are hurting, no matter what kind of tough exterior that they have on. People in this world are broken and hurting, and we have the answer. So the next week or two, we're going to try to make this a little bit more practical. But for this week, take this, put it somewhere where you can see it. And ask God for a divine opportunity. And then when he gives you one, don't, don't walk away from it. When you're in that moment, the book of John says that, he'll, that there, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Trust the Holy Spirit inside of you to tell you what to do. I'm reading a book called Win the Day by Mark Batterson. He was talking about just last night in the chapter I was, was going through. He was talking about how faith is taking the first step when you don't know where the rest of the steps lead. You can't see the rest. And I think a lot of times when it's sharing our faith or we feel like we want to share, say something to somebody, the hardest step is the first step because you don't know what happens after that. But our only gauge for success is obedience. Our gauge for success is not whether someone falls down on their knees in public and is crying and gets God just blasts them with the Holy Spirit or whatever. That's not your gauge for success. Your gauge for success is did I do what the Holy Spirit asked me to do? So take this. Please put it somewhere where you can see it. And if you don't do anything else, just begin to pray that God 
would use us. Pray that God would use us. Be intentional this week about trying to win culture some way, somehow. Invite someone to church. When's the last time we just invited someone to come and sit with us? We have to understand that we're all missionaries and we're all on mission all of the time. I think that when we begin to truly show kindness to others and allow the light of Christ to shine through us, that we will begin the process of winning, winning culture. Can we just pray for a second? Can I just say that I'm with you? I don't know all the answers. I'm not leading the way with praying for people out in the public square. And, and you've all heard my illustrations and stories that are all true when I mess up in the, in the public world and I say things or do things I shouldn't. But my prayer is that God would help us to be the light of the world. God, right now, we just bow our heads before you. You've called us to be the light. God, we know that people are stumbling because there's no light in the world. God, we know that as Christ followers, we're hiding our light under a bowl. And I ask God that you would forgive us of that. God, forgive us. God, before these people and before you, I confess my own sin of omission, of not sharing and not being the light of the world. God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of not doing what I'm supposed to do. Forgive me of not, not hearing your, not listening to your voice and saying things I should say. God, I repent publicly and God, just that, that I would turn around and I would go another way, that I could lead people, God, the right direction. God, I confess my own selfishness. And I pray that we would all do the same, God, that we would confess our selfishness and our self-righteous behaviors and our... God, our fear where we trust our fear more than we, we, we trust you. Help us, God, this week to hear your voice. God, I pray for divine encounters this week. That you would give us an opportunity to be the light of Christ. From th something as simple as buying someone's coffee or maybe even just a smile looking for the person who looks the saddest. It's just giving them a smile, asking them how their day is. God, I don't know what it looks like in everyone's individual life, but I'm asking you, God, to make a way. You said that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Will you order our steps this week? God, so that we can be your light and we can stop hiding. And I pray for an empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be witnesses. You said that we would receive power to be witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And I pray, God, for just a fresh outpouring of your Spirit. In 
Jesus' name. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.